0: Say, Scully, why are you working? Shouldn't you be at home rearing 12 children?
1: Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver.
0: And I'm Scott Elfstrom.
1: It's time to put the kiddies to bed and prepare yourself for more spooky tales of Texas. <laughs> but first, what's a really great Texas historical-themed Halloween costume? Well, my first inclination
2: is to go over the top and dress as a velvet, green velvet-clad Sam Houston on the day of Mirabeau Lamar's uh, inauguration. But uh, that might be a little tricky to pull off, so if I had to pick... I'd pick uh, Britt
1: Bailey, the Jug Hunter.
0: <laughs> for the same Houston thing, it's hard to find uh, powdered wigs these days. Yeah,
1: <laughs> they're in they're in short supply. Well, for myself, I think I would love to be Jim Bowie, but then I have these two problems: of where do I find a sword cane, and then how do I stab myself three times with it after I shoot <laughs> myself twice <laughs> and not die? Yes, because. Yeah.
2: Why do it if you're not going to go for authenticity?
1: So I, maybe I'll just go as a, as a modern interpretation of Mirabeau Lamar, and I'm just going to write a lot of slam poetry about Sam Houston. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, usually I try to, try to dress as Darth Vader for Halloween, but uh, I'm going to go with the Texas version of Darth Vader, Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana.
1: <laughs> Diabolical. With leg, not without. our <laughs> first story is... The Old Bear County Jail. This story takes us back to Old San Antone. In a location off Cameron Street, just a short walk from the Alamo, is the site of the Old Bear County Jail. In 1878, architect Alfred Giles built the jail. The original building was a two-story structure that had 20 cells, and it could hold up to 86 total inmates. In 1879,
0: a cattle driver named R.F. Gilbreth was returning to Texas having taken a herd to Ellsworth, Kansas. During the trip, he and a young man named Joe Cordova got into a heated argument. Things went south, as they often did in those days, and Joe pulled his pistol and shot Gilbreath dead. Joe was eventually caught, tried, and convicted.
2: Texas justice was swift. On July 7, 1879, Joe Cordova was one of the first men hanged at the Bayer County Jail. He wasn't alone. Hanging was not an uncommon fate at the time, and many more would face those very gallows.
1: San Antonio was growing, as was the need for jail capacity. In 1912, architect Henry T. Phelps added a third floor, but, in an unusual design, added the gallows to the third floor inside the jail. It continued to be the jail and was expanded one more time, and in 1962... The city of San Antonio no longer used this building as a jail, but was converted into a records depot for the county and the city.
0: In 2002, the property changed hands, and it was renovated into a comfort inn, because nothing says comfort (laughs) like a former jail. (laughs) Exactly. They kept the original exterior walls and the look of it, including the bars and the windows. Mmm, comfy. It's a theme. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not the only thing from the old jail that's still hanging around. Many have reported that it is haunted.
2: Even during construction, workers reported difficulty carrying concrete from the second story up to the third floor. Once the men reached the 13th step, some unseen force prevented them from going any higher. Perhaps gravity?
1: <laughs> concrete is heavy. <laughs> okay. We're very tired. 12 steps no problem. 13 way too much. Bridge too far. After the hotel opened, guests reported strange experiences. Some said they heard disembodied footsteps in the hallways and across the rooms, and one guest was terrified and stayed on the first floor. Supposedly, their room was in the spot where executed prisoners would fall through the trapdoor from above when they were executed, and he and his wife were sleeping in bed when they were awakened by a loud creaking sound followed by something that sounded like a slamming door and muttering voices. He sat up quickly in bed. Was this a dream or just a visit from the damned souls of the executed?
0: Or maybe it was echoes from down the hall because it's a concrete building.
1: (laughs) That's probably (laughs) more likely. Now, in doing the research for this episode, I did find a second version of the old bear hounded ghost story. And this is where the history and the folklore get a little confused. So there was a man named Clemente Apollinar. Now, in 1921, Clemente was walking from a relative's house in Floresville to San Antonio. Now, it's about 30 miles. it take you 8 to 12 hours, depending on how fast you walked and if you stopped and things like that. But it was a very hot day, and this is South Texas, so it was miserable in August. Um, Clemente stopped at a place where he usually would cool off and get some water and have a drink on part of the river there. Now, where the story ends here is... There were uh, the water was muddy and he got very frustrated. And he went up the river and he found these two boys that were playing in the river uh, with, and accounts vary what they were doing. But they were, they were messing around the river and he thought that they were muddying them. Now, the first account says that he, uh, he got angry at them, picked up a rock, chased them, caught one of the boys who was about 14 and viciously beat him to death to the point where he beat the back of his head open and beat, basically beat his brains out. And then he gouged the boy's eyes out and put them in his pocket. <laughs> he was uh, his friend frantically tried to get people to help. Finally they got someone to, you know, find local authorities and he was arrested. He was tried uh, and he was hanged for the crime of murder. Now that's the first story. And that account says that he was Held and hanged at the Bear County Jail. Now, there's a second account from a Latino legal review that talks about, um, shall we say, unjust uh, executions of people uh, of Latino descent. Now, by that account, Clemente uh, Apolinar Partida was actually, as a young boy, suffered an, a very bad head wound, and so he suffered from mental and emotional instability. Uh, The other account of it says that he was actually attacked by a gang of young men who threw rocks at him and that uh, he caught one of them and then, again, beat him to death and and did gouge out his eyes. But the uh, Tejano community in San Antonio pleaded for leniency, uh, but he was still tried for murder and, and there was no extenuating circumstances. Again, it was 1921 when this occurred. Now, the real difference here about the haunting part of the story is he was executed in Huntsville in 1922. And in fact, according to the source I read, he was the last person hanged in the state of Texas. They switched to alternate execution methods after that. But it happened in Huntsville. He was not killed in this place, so I do not think you have anything to worry about his ghost <laughs> in San Antonio. <laughs> just well, just, just all the other ghosts.
0: And it's just more another example of how... You know, sometimes real stories or close to real stories become part of myth and folklore, and uh, things become associated with with places that they don't really have anything to do with.
1: Well, this is not the Texas Myth and Folklore podcast, gentlemen. (laughs) It is today. It is today. Now, today, the hotel,
2: um, the former Behar jail is a holiday inn express despite the classic exterior it is a modern hotel in every way but just remember like the movie poltergeist beware building your hotel onto haunted grounds
0: of past brutalities yeah so what what's the street address of this building mike Jeez. in San Antonio.
1: It's off Cameron Street. I have to look it up. I have to Google. Off it. Of Cameron Street. So stay I'm not ever
0: going to stay at any Holiday Inn Express anywhere near Cameron Street in San
1: Antonio. <laughs> I will say you should definitely go to Google Maps and I will say you should go to Google Maps and street view it because it's and then you can go and Google classic pictures of the jail and it's like, oh wow, it's it's neat because it's like a four or five story structure now. But originally like the original one was it's just neat that they took the jail and they just built it up tall and (laughs) kind of legoed it up. (laughs) Nice. And now prepare yourselves for the tale of the lady in black.
2: Now, if you search on the internet for Lady in Black and Ghost Story, you're going to find a lot of results. Uh, More than 31 million of them, I think. But even if you spend some time narrowing those millions of results to just the ones in Texas, there's still a lot. But today we're talking about one in particular, and it begins, like many of them do, in
1: the days of Spanish colonization. Sometime in the 18th century, there was a wealthy landowner named Raul Ramos who lived at Falfurius, which is just south of Alice. He traveled often on business, but not so often that he didn't keep ties with the community. In fact, one of his neighbors was a woman who was convinced she would one day become the wife of Don Ramos. This unnamed woman's dreams were shattered when Ramos arrived at his ranch beside his beautiful new wife, Leonora. So what did she do? congratulate the newlyweds and bring them a casserole in celebration perhaps a nice fruit basket oh no she vowed revenge she promised to ruin the marriage and eventually become the one true senora ramos only a few
0: weeks later don ramos informed his beloved that he must journey to spain for business he kissed his crying wife goodbye and hit the road She extracted a promise that he would return safely, and she vowed to keep Vigil from her window every day he was gone, awaiting his return. Finally, after six long months, her vigilance paid off.
2: Leonora ran out to meet her husband as he came through their gate. She could barely contain her passion and relief as she told Ramos that he would be a father soon. He was naturally pleased with the news that he would have an heir, and his love for Leonora only deepened. He began spreading the word to everyone he knew, sharing his excitement for the future. Of course, one of those neighbors that heard the news was the proud beauty that felt that it was her right to be
1: Don Ramos's wife. Devising an insidious scheme of rumor and innuendo, the scorned woman began spreading a lie that Leonora had been unfaithful while Ramos was out of town. The natural conclusion that was made was that this baby was not his and he would divorce the young woman over her infidelity and claim his neighbor as his rightful bride. That was the big goal.
0: The rumor made its way back to Ramos and he confronted his wife. He demanded to know if it was true. Had she been unfaithful? Was she carrying another man's child? Leonora maintained her innocence and she begged her husband to believe her. He chose not to. Ramos approached two of his
2: ranch hands, and gave them a very specific set of instructions. And I guess this is the way that you handled these things, then. Tell Leonora to put on a black dress, take her a day's ride north of home to a crossroads and hang her for her alleged infidelity. So far, it looked like the slighted woman's machinations were falling into place, though perhaps a bit more final
1: and deadly than she had intended. The riders reached the crossroads as ordered, and began to set up the rope for hanging. When they asked Leonora if she had any last words, she said only that she had committed no crime and did not deserve to be hanged. She also told them that if they continued, she would never let them forget that they had hanged an innocent woman.
0: While his men rode north, Don Ramos rode south. It seems he was resolute in his course and he wanted to be far enough away that he couldn't stop the hanging if he changed his mind in a moment of weakness. Now as the story goes, at the exact moment that Leonora's neck snapped, Ramos pulled out his pistol and shot himself in the head. Whether he changed his mind and was despairing that he couldn't do anything now, or this was the plan all along, the result was the same. The woman who had wanted his hand in marriage had succeeded in getting revenge on Leonora, but in the process, she lost the very thing she sought to have, a marriage to one of the wealthiest men in the Rio Grande Valley.
2: Now it's said that ever since Leonora was hanged, she haunts the crossroads at present-day highways 281 and 141 between Alice and Falfurius. She is seen dressed all in black, just like in the story, and presumably stands near the spot where she was unfairly hanged. A recent story from the early 2000s tells of a group of men on their way to work at a refinery. They saw a woman in black standing in the road, but by the time the driver could react and hit the brakes, it was too late. Convinced he had run someone down, he called the sheriff and waited for him to come and deal with the situation. Of course, once the authorities arrived, there was no evidence that a woman had ever been there. True to her word, Leonora has continued to keep the area from forgetting that she had been unjustly hanged. Now, (laughs) there's a few things about this story that I think are interesting. One, there's a lot of ladies in black or white out there haunting all the things. So if you're going to haunt ladies, maybe wear something other than black or white because it will make for a more interesting story
1: in the future. Yeah. Haunt with a splash of color.
2: (laughs) Um, Something else that I think is interesting is the way everywhere that i read this story they they knew all the details right (laughs) like they're watching an episode of csi or something they knew exactly what was going on at any time it's like how do they know that she vowed to spread rumors did she tell people i'm spreading rumors i vow you know i i don't get it
1: there's a lot of inner (laughs) there's a lot of inner monologue that's well documented yeah in the tale yeah well
0: yeah and and this this sounds very much I mean I'm the skeptic here, so I mean, this is this <laughs> is long. very much a this is very much uh has the markings of a uh of a folklore story that probably came over with the Spanish settlers from spain and i mean it it has it has that you know the crossroads the the hanging the woman the the maiden the you know the the righteous maiden who's unjustly killed and uh uh it's a morality tale, and yeah. just like every good folklore story is. Yeah, so. it's very archetypal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very much so.
1: Yeah. You the the other part of like the ghost stories that are make them a little hard to believe sometimes mm-hmm. is the the very um, well, like fifteen years ago, some people saw this and this thing happened on a road. Therefore, this is the exact same person that was in this story three hundred years prior. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah but if you are near Falfurious or down near Alice, if you've had an encounter with the lady in black and you want to tell us about it, send us your spookiest story
0: yeah we I, w- I will ask to make sure that you haven't had way too much falfurious butter before you saw this <laughs> haunting
1: and now our last tale the mystery of the Aurora airship
0: In April of 1897, the readers of the Dallas Morning News and the Fort Worth Register were astonished to read a most remarkable tale from the tiny country town of Aurora, which is located 60 miles northwest of Dallas. The article, written by local resident S.E. Hayden, read, About six o'clock this morning, the early risers of Aurora were astonished at the sudden appearance of the airship which has been seen sailing around the country. It was traveling due north and much nearer to the earth than before. Evidently, some of the machinery was out of order, for it was making a speed of only 10 or 12 miles an hour, and gradually settling towards the earth. It sailed over the public square, and when it reached the north part of town, it collided with the tower of Judge Proctor's windmill, went into pieces with a terrible explosion, scattering debris over several acres of ground, wrecking the windmill and water tank, and destroying the judge's flower garden. The
2: pilot of the ship is supposed to have been the only one aboard. While his remains were badly disfigured, enough of the original has been picked up to show that he was not an inhabitant of this world. Mr. T.J. Weems, the U.S. Army Signal Service Officer at this place and an authority on astronomy, gives it as his opinion that the pilot was a native of the planet Mars. Papers found on his person, evidently the records of his travels, are written in some unknown hieroglyphics and cannot be deciphered. The ship was too badly wrecked to form any conclusion as to its construction or motive power.
1: It was built of an unknown metal, resembling somewhat a mixture of aluminum and silver, and it must have weighed several tons. The town is full of people who are viewing the wreckage and gathering specimens of strange metal from the debris. The pilot's funeral will take place tomorrow.
0: This incident was the latest instance of an amazing phenomena that swept the nation in the late 1890s. From November of 1896 to April of 1897, rural towns in California, the Midwest, and the South reported sightings of unusual airships. Most accounts describe these vessels as being between 15 and 25 feet long and having a metallic surface that was completely featureless apart from a rudder and having pointed ends. They were covered in strange lights and were usually piloted by strange barely human beings. In one incident in
2: Arkansas, it was claimed that the pilot told the observers that their craft was bound for Cuba to use its Hotchkiss gun to, quote, kill Spaniards. In another incident in Texas, three men reported encountering five strangely dressed men who asserted that they were descendants of the Lost Tribes of Israel and had learned English from the 1553 North Pole Expedition led by Hugh Willoughby. The Aurora incident was one of the last mystery airship sightings and was certainly one of the most detailed and documented of them all.
1: Over the years, people are obviously torn about the mystery airship phenomenon, just as people are torn about the post-war era flying saucer craze. Now, skeptics will claim that all the incidents are hysteria, at best, from people who observed real dirigibles or most likely were just hoaxes. The Aurora incident is no exception. In the late 1970s, Time magazine ran an article about the incident that included an interview with local resident Etta Pegues, who claimed that Hayden made up the story as a joke, intending to attract interest to the dying town that had recently been bypassed by the railroad. She said that Judge Proctor had never had a windmill on his property. Former Aurora Mayor Barbara Brammer's research on the incident seems to corroborate some of Peggy's statements. However, on some points, Begeese was wrong. There really was a well on Judge Proctor's property, and other investigation has shown some surprising evidence that casts doubt on the hoax. Part of the mystery is the story of a Mr. Brawley Oates,
0: who who purchased Judge Proctor's property around 1935. Oates cleaned out the debris from the well that was under the damaged windmill in order to use it as a water source, but he later developed an extremely severe case of arthritis, which he said came from contaminated water from the wreckage that had been dumped into the well. As a result, he sealed it up with a concrete slab and placed an outbuilding on top of the slab in 1957. In 2008, UFO investigators tested the water from the sealed well and they found high amounts of aluminum but no metal debris. Spooky. In 1973,
2: investigators claimed they had discovered the stone marker used in the burial of the pilot. Their metal detectors indicated a quantity of foreign material might remain buried there. However, they were not permitted to exhume, and when they returned several years later, the headstone, and whatever metallic material had lain beneath it, was gone. The same investigators in 2008 conducted sonogram tests at Aurora Cemetery and did find an unmarked grave, but it was so deteriorated that they couldn't determine what was buried there. So is there really an alien encounter in this sleepy country town? Probably no one will ever know, but it certainly makes for an extraordinary story.
1: I'm telling you, Scully, the truth is out there. <laughs> it's say scully it's no it's no coincidence that there's a new x-files coming out soon yeah i mean yeah, yeah. except x-files
0: 1897 to be say scully why are you working shouldn't you be at home rearing 12 children <laughs> now be a dear and fetch me a cup of coffee
1: yeah so uh exactly exactly Yep. i, I just it's you know the, let's talk about Aurora. let's talk about this now uh, the, the the funny thing is Sean reminded me about uh there's a film called the incident <laughs> at Aurora when it's store it stars jack Elam and uh, you can yeah. find Elam. you can find the whole thing on uh YouTube and nobody's yeah. protesting the copyright <laughs> no. on this pig uh, no. <laughs> and Not it's at a- all. it's a fairly terrible movie, and I actually I think I remember watching it in nineteen eighty six or seven probably, when it probably came. Probably like on
0: TV or something.
1: Yeah, it was on a, a television device for like those a, of you in the like future. A UHF listening. Channel.
0: Uh, it was this, this would be a Saturday afternoon UHF channel show. Oh, you
1: know? it was it was very low budge. Um yeah. but they do make friends with the alien, uh <laughs> who is then shot dead by like the the town ne'er do well. <laughs> of course. And he oh. says uh you know, they Jack Elam gives a you just, I think it's like one hour and like 23 minutes and you can fast forward and just hear Jack Elam give a moving eulogy, although short for the tiny green man who
2: came from <laughs> space. Yeah. One of the most interesting um, aspects to this story is that there was a whole series of stories around the same time that this was just one of, right? It's like there was the guys in Arkansas that um, came across a pilot that told him they was going to Cuba to kill Spaniards. And then another group of aliens were supposedly the lost tribes of Israel. And, you know, it just, it reminds me of like our modern day internet memes and stories where it's like someone tells a story they read it on some site and then it gets spread around from site to site. And next thing, you know, you know, there's like this whole rash of similar stories going on and on. And it's just like this weird phenomenon.
0: Yeah. And, and it, you know, people, the people that are hoaxer that are, you know, skeptics and stuff, they say, well, uh, you know this this had to be hoaxes It couldn't have been airships there weren't any airships well, there were some airships that were that were being tested and tried uh and trialed throughout the the world and throughout the country so it it's it's entirely possible that that the very first one uh or the first couple that were in California may have been some person that was testing out some airship and and it just like you said scott it spread from that um i just think it's it's pretty remarkable that that the uh there's there's a lot of details to this part of the story that just aren't present in in a lot of the other ones so yeah so it's it's very interesting i yeah. I, th- I just think it's a neat story so
1: yeah. on a likely scale of something to happen like a a space airship to crash into a windmill in, in podunk texas seems fairly unlikely <laughs>
2: so <laughs> well, i don't know yeah Probably. it seems as unlikely as Finding a limestone cavern on the battlefield of San Jacinto. Mm.
1: No, no, I think it's more likely. I think this spaceship thing has a lot more veracity than some of the things we saw in Texas Rising. Hey, I, so, so part, part five of Texas Rising,
0: season five of Texas Rising, will be, you know, the Aurora Airship uh, saves Texas <laughs> from another Mexican invasion.
2: Oh, and I love that. It came to help us kill Spaniards.
1: Yeah. Huh. Well.
0: To help Sam Houston win the Spanish-American War. There you go.
1: There you go. So... From all of us at Come and Take It, to all of you listening, we hope you have a wonderful, spooky, exciting Halloween. Uh, be careful out there. Don't eat too much candy. And uh, come back next week for a more exciting Texas history. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at BrainStaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to BrainStaple.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. If you'd like to support the show financially and become a member of the Come and Take It Nation, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com Texas Podcast. Why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's, and I'm Scotticus. If you like the show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out to find new listeners just like you. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.